Hello, and welcome to Strength and Dignity. This is Michaela Estru, and you are listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Today we're going to do something similar to last week where I examine an article from Ms. Magazine and then contrast it to a story from the Bible. So this article that we're looking at is a weekend reading on women's representation, and it focuses primarily on the lack of female representation, the lack of women in government, and the need for more. And then it goes into highlighting lots of victories for women and then why we need to be pushing for more. So I quote from the article, So one of the main issues I see in our country today is the overemphasis on someone's identity, specifically their sexual identity, either male or female, or now in our LGBTQ plus agenda, uh, overemphasizing that so much to consume your identity. And yes, like it is a very personal part of who you are and it does define you as a person. But sometimes I feel like it can be a hindrance into just seeing the qualities of, of a person and who they are in their character as a man or as a woman, not just that they are a man or that she is a woman. So anytime a woman is elected or even announces that she's running, the media explodes with some sort of record in history and that we need more women in office. And I would agree that we do need strong, good female leaders and we need a balance of representation, a balance of men and women. However, being a woman should not be their main contributing factor for winning an election. So, for example, on Tuesday, Jennifer McClellan won the special election to fill the open seat previously held by Representative Ashton Donald McEachin, who died in November. She will be the first black woman to represent Virginia in the House of Representatives. This means women's representation in Congress has now gone up to 28.7%, thanks to the Center for American Women in Politics for the update following the election. And the article quotes Jennifer McClellan, and she says, It still blows my mind that we're having firsts in 2023. My ancestors fought really hard to have a seat at that table. And now not only will I have a seat at that table in Congress, I'll be able to bring that policymaking table into communities that never really had a voice before. And as I was reading this article on Jennifer McClellan, I wanted to hear about her traits, her qualities, her character, perhaps proposals that she's going to offer on policy, what she might advocate or change, and what she wants to keep, what she wants to preserve, what she wants to change, and like how is she going to be using her two years in Congress as a representative to better our country. But the only focus of the article was that she was a woman. And to me, as as great as it is to celebrate that we are electing strong women to represent us, why is that the only thing that we're focusing on? And to me, it feels like it's blown out of proportion and almost an insult to who she is because she's more than just a woman. The fact that she was elected should not be simply because she's a woman. McClellan continues in her quote, she says, Women are too often told to wait before they run for office, but men are advised to go for it. That's a barrier to gender parity. 
I often hear from women who have won elections that they were told to be more patient. They tell me they're glad they refuse to listen to such negativity. The rhetoric that sets expectations about who can and should run for office is often aimed at women. Now, I'm not speaking from a very familiar platform on this case. I've never announced running for office, and so I I can't speak on what I have been told or and what other people might have been told who are women and told to maybe wait in running for office. But I would say that running for office is a pretty big deal no matter if you're a man or a woman and so I don't know that it's fair to paint a broad paintbrush or a broad stroke across this and say that no men are ever told to wait when they say that they want to run for office. I I don't know that that's fair and also I'm sure it's a consideration for a long time. It's not just something that is made that day when you wake up and you're like, oh, I'm going to run for office. Like, it's a decision made over many, many months and seeking lots of advice. And most of the advice is probably not public. So to say that only women are told to wait, I don't think is fair. But McClellan continues and says, as we reimagine politics in America, we also need to look beyond gender diversity. Of the 100 U.S. senators, for example, 88 are white. Each has a chief of staff and a team of public servants. There is only one black chief of staff. That's appalling. There is no other word for it. So what McClellan is saying is she's turning it from simply representation of women, so we have both men and women, but also equal representation for all skin colors and for different communities. And again, this is the same point that I feel like is overemphasized. Yes, it's important that we have a diverse House of Representatives and Senate that that we are representing all Americans. But if we are simply electing a person based on their gender or based on the color of their skin, that in itself kind of becomes racist and becomes prejudiced because we're not electing them for the qualities that they will bring, for their character, for the policies they're advocating for. We're electing them because they will make the picture of our Senate and our House look better. We must look beyond sex and skin to see how they will lead and make our decision upon that, not simply what will be the best snapshot picture of our House and Senate. However, I don't want to appear like I'm only attacking this article because I believe that it does offer some unique perspective and I do I do on this show often criticize the Ms. Magazine articles and arguments from the feminist agenda. So I want to share something from the article that I thought was beautiful. They share a story in the article, and this shows me the character of this woman, and it shows me her desires and her hard work. So an article from CNN features the story of the first black woman in NASA's astronaut corps. Jessica Watkins is a self-proclaimed rock nerd and is just one of five black women who have been to space. So she starts telling the story and she says she talks about from her childhood seeing the space voyages and wanting to be in space, wanting to be that person who gets to get in that rocket ship and go outside of our earth and see our solar system and look back and see the earth be in space. And she says, that desire became a reality as a result of the zeal she brought to her academic pursuits. Watkins said in a January interview, 
and Watkins hopes she can instill that enthusiasm for knowledge into young people who aspire to be like her. So what I love about that quote from the article published by CNN is that she had a dream, she had a desire, she had a passion and a zeal, and she put it into practice in her academic pursuits. She worked rigorously and hard so that she could achieve that. And then she is an inspiration to so many others to say, keep pushing, keep following what you want. And the article continues, one of the most important things to be able to share is just the importance of dreaming big, Watkins said, and really being able to find your path, find something that you're passionate about. So here, Watkins is encouraging the younger generation, and she's encouraging them in what they're passionate about and saying, go after it, pursue it, don't be discouraged, even when it's hard, keep going, which I think is a good message that needs to be heard. And this this encouragement goes beyond just the fact that she's a woman or just the fact that she's black. It goes to her character. And the article finally says, diverse representation remains an issue in the space program. But opportunities for women and people of color are growing. Watkins' astronaut class, selected by NASA in 2017, is one of the most diverse in the space agency's history, and she hopes she can leave the door open for others. So I really like the way that ends, too, because in contrast to what a lot of these articles are saying, it's not as much of a call to action or a push, 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 we need to make our snapshots look better so that we look more diverse. In fact, it's kind of the opposite. It's saying this is something good that we're striving for and look, we're improving and the the class is growing and the diversity is growing and focusing on profiling Watkins and focusing on her as an individual person, taking the reader through her dreams and her hard work to see the fruitful results, I think is truly beautiful and something that should be celebrated. And so this story reminded me of a fun movie that I saw several years ago and have watched multiple times since. Uh, It's called Hidden Figures, and it's about these three women who are extremely helpful in the success in the space industry with NASA and uh, determining the mathematics side the programming side all of it these three women who are not only women but they are black and they're living in a time of immense tumult of immense segregation and racial conflict and yet they are strong and determined and follow their dreams and push hard so I want to play a scene from this movie and this woman Catherine is the she's a genius she is so smart and just the mathematical brain behind this and and figuring out all of the calculations the immensely complicated calculations to sustain a ship in space and she has to be brought into this board meeting and there's a little fight beforehand saying not only can she not get in here she's not authorized she doesn't have the right credentials but also she's a woman she that never happens there's only men in this room And it's a really funny scene because her boss kind of puts his foot down and is like, no, she's the only one that can do this. And she needs to be in this board meeting to hear the things being said and the questions being asked and being able to provide answers. So here's a scene from Hidden Figures. 
Why is it she can't attend? Because she doesn't have clearance, Al. I cannot do my work effectively if I do not have all of the data and all of the information as soon as it's available. I need to be in that room hearing what you hear. Pentagon briefings are not for civilians. It requires the highest clearance. I feel like I'm the best person to present my calculations. You're not gonna let this go, are you? No, I am not. And, and she is a woman. There is no protocol for a woman okay, attending these meetings. Okay, I get that part, Paul. But within these walls, who, uh, who makes the rules? You, sir. You are the boss. This is Catherine Goebel with our trajectory and launch window division. Her work is pertinent to today's proceedings. Come on. Want to get her a chair? So that clip continues on in the meeting, and they explain what they're trying to calculate. And Catherine, in fact, her boss turns to her and says, Catherine, would you give it a try? And she goes up to the chalkboard and she just performs extremely complicated math in front of all of these men. And obviously you can't see their faces, but you could hear it in the room. It got extremely quiet. You could hear a pin drop and they're looking around in kind of utter confusion and like, this is kind of awkward. Why is she in here? And then they're all just amazed at the calculations that she performs and she shows exactly where they need to land upon re-entry uh the the longitude and latitude and she says it may be off by maybe 20 miles which is nothing in the middle of the ocean really um and it's just it's yeah it's just really really cool and so one thing I love about that clip is her strong will Catherine in the movie you if you watch the whole thing you can see her character really come out and she is so compassionate and loving she's a beautiful mom she's so strong um and determined but quiet when she needs to be quiet and extremely respectful um there's still segregation at the time and she has to run from where she works all the way to the colored bathroom which is essentially like a mile away just so that she can go to the bathroom um, and come back and she's taking her work with her the entire time so that she's not slacking. And then eventually her boss speaks to her about it and she kind of very truthfully and honestly is like, well, this is what I have to deal with and I've dealt with it for many weeks and I haven't complained, sir, but this is the way it is. And so yeah, her character just really, really comes out, which is what I love about that scene because the fact that she's a woman and the fact that she's black cannot hinder her from entering that room because of her qualities and characters and credentials that qualify her to be in that room. And that's, I think, exactly what we should be looking for today, that the fact that you're a woman or the fact that you're black should not be the only thing that guarantees you a position of leadership. Your character, your qualities, and your credentials must speak volumes of who you are in order to win that for you. So now we're going to kind of contrast with a biblical story, and I want to look at the story of Ruth, because Ruth herself is a woman, and she's a foreigner from the Israelites. So Ruth married the son of an Israelite when they left during a famine, and so they moved to Canaan. She's a Canaanite woman, which was against Israelite rules. They were not allowed to marry outside of Israel, and her husband dies, and her father-in-law dies and so it's just her and her mother-in-law and her mother-in-law says she's going back home to Israel and she and Ruth says she's not going to leave that she will care for her and protect her all the days of her life uh 
Ruth's character, she is loving. She is a hard worker and she's humble and servant-hearted. And in this story, all of those qualities come out. And she says to her mother in Ruth chapter 1, verse 16 to 17, Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And so they move back to Israel and Ruth goes to work in the fields and she gleans. She's picking up basically the leftover scraps from the fields and the field owner, Boaz, takes note of her. He notices her because of her qualities and her hard work and her traits and her character and Israel's small and so they know that Naomi, her mother-in-law, has returned and so there's news going around of, oh, the daughter-in-law of Naomi is here and Boaz sees the way that she's caring for her mother-in-law and and treats her respectfully and helps her and benefits her. And so she says in her conversation to Boaz, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Ruth knows both her status as a woman and as a foreigner puts her the lowest of the low, really, among Israelites, that she would be scoffed at or overlooked and not noticed. And yet Boaz elevates her and raises her up. Boaz answered her and says, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And I just love that he notices her and speaks blessing over her from the Lord. And she's a foreigner, like the Lord is not her the God of her childhood, and yet Boaz is speaking the truth over her. And so eventually Ruth tells Naomi, her mother-in-law, this, and Boaz is in fact a, a relative of Naomi. And the, the policy at the time for Israel was that if a husband has died, that his relative would take his wife under his wing and become her husband and care for her and protect her and protect her children because women need provision and protection. And if a, a widow is extremely poor and suffering and cannot provide for herself, so it's the job of a relative to care for her. And so Naomi sends Ruth to Boaz, basically asking him to do that. Ruth goes to him in humility, and he says to her, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And that's exactly what Boaz does. He is faithful to his promise, and he is her redeemer. That's the, the literal word for it. He restores her. He marries her. Um, he honors her. And I think he sees the true qualities in her. And so he sees past the color of her skin or her identity as a foreigner and sees her beauty and her character and her love and her humility and and takes her under his wing and the beautiful part of this story at the end is that together Ruth and Boaz 
have a child and they name him Obed. And Obed is the father of Jesse. And Jesse is the father of David. Ruth is the great-grandmother of King David. King David is the man that the Israelites see as a Messiah before the true Messiah. He is the king of Israel, the righteous one, a man after God's own heart. And he is often compared to the future Messiah, that another, another will come who is like David, but even better and more righteous and more perfect. And so a foreigner is the great-grandmother of this king and this patriarch of the Israelite faith, which I think is just beautiful. So this just shows that although men look at the outward appearance, that they can be so consumed with the identity of the outward appearance, the Lord looks at the heart. And he calls us to do the same in seeking friendships and seeking relationships in all that we do, that our heart is truly modeled after him and that we are seeking the character and the heart of others and seeing that in who they are. That is what we ought to be seeking in all areas of life. And I think the Lord will be faithful in blessing us in that pursuit. Thanks for listening to Strength and Dignity. I'm Michaela Estruth, and you are listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM.